Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs, and of course this is uh, Dave Cruz, and today we're lucky to have uh, Nick Littman with us. He's a partner at Littman Entertainment, which is an artist management firm based in LA, and they manage some pretty good artists, uh, including Matchbox 20, George Michael, and Rob Thomas. I'm hoping you guys have heard at least some of those. Uh, and so Nick is a pretty interesting guy. He's in the middle of both the music and tech industry. Because in addition to being a partner at Littman, he's also the founder and president of, of Ava Jade. And at Ava Jade, they advise tech companies and invest in tech companies. And uh, if I understand correctly, essentially they help bridge the gap between the tech and music industry. Um, and it sounds like they're getting into some other things too. So it's, it's quite interesting, and I think it's going to be a great talk. So uh, Nick, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure, man. So let's first talk about uh, music. And then you can educate us uh, in the Midwest and beyond. And then uh, let's dive more into the tech because that's a, a, a great interest. So what was uh, what was your background and how did you get into the music industry? Well, um, my, my whole family has been a part of this. Uh, my father started 40 years ago. Uh, and then 10 years after that, when he started his management company, his brother, my uncle, went to work with him and then... 15 years ago, my brother went there for a couple of years. Um, my cousins both also work in the music industry. I think my father got both of them their jobs initially. Um, so we come from a, from a, you know, music has been a part of my life since I was born. Hmm. And being around artists and my father's office uh, was inside of our house when I was growing up. So I was really privy to sort of the inner workings. Now, obviously I was a child. So it's not like I knew the deal flow that was going on, but just sort of the way in which managers dealt with business and clients and everything was so prevalent in my childhood that it was kind of ingrained in my head. Um, I started my first internship at a record company at the age of 14. Uh, and I worked every summer of high school at a different, well, actually two at the same label, but at record companies, just learning from the ground up uh, was, it was really important that my father instilled into me and my brother that if we're going to learn any business, that we got to learn it from the bottom up. Uh, and that's kind of how I got my start. I was packaging records at in the basement of EMI Records on Sunset when it existed there, working with uh, DJs and radio promoters, just learning kind of how that works. And uh, it was quite interesting. Wow. That's a, that's a great education. And so do you have any... Uh, any stories from when you were young growing up, you know, in the music industry? I mean, you know, all kinds of stories. <laughs> um, I don't know how many I've allowed to say, you know, but I can tell you that, you know, very famous musicians were uh, having drug issues in my family's backyard. <laughs> um, there are people who I saw on television who I saw doing drugs in my house when I was a kid, you know, um, <laughs> But on the other side of it, I think that the the part that stuck with me the most is the majority of artists that my father worked with were all good people. Hmm. Um, a lot of them had kids. They were all really friendly to me and my brother. Um, you know, a couple of guys from Guns N' Roses took me with them to the concert that they went and courted Max Sorum. Uh, and I was, you know, there with a the babysitter. That was pretty fun. And, and everybody was really... You know, like as funny as it sounds and as, as crazy as the as rock and roll was, especially those years, you know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, um, the one thing I do remember is all these people being so friendly 
and and nice and respectful around uh, myself, you know, at a young age. That's nice to hear. You might have to write a tell-all biography someday. <laughs> yeah, I think my father's doing one now. Oh, is he, he's is a lot more. He's is a lot more interesting than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're young, so give us give yourself yeah, another thirty exactly. years. <laughs> so who? All right. So when did you uh, officially join uh, Lipman? I mean, you've kind of always been a part of it. Two thousand two. Two thousand two. Yeah, I've been okay. a part. I've been a part of the company since nineteen ninety seven. Okay. But I and uh, you know worked sort of as a way to make a living when I wasn't in college. You know, like any time that, that they needed stuff or I was on a vacation or something, I went to the office and, and helped out and did this. Um, but I officially, you know, became an employee. And and by the way, even though it was my family business, I started as an administrative assistant, you know, oh, nice. filing and, and doing all that shit, um, you know, le- learning like any other employee uh, in 2002. So so who was your uh, who was your first client? Was that – and when did you get that client – uh, the first client that I found on my own was a kid named Hodges, who's currently known as J.T. Hodges. He's a country artist. And the first artist that I kind of inherited and took over that was part of the business was a girl named Anna Malik. Okay. Who, I don't know if you remember her, but she had a, a pretty big song with Breathe, 2 a.m. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Which was a lot of fun. And... Hodges was then signed to Showdog Universal, and you know he's done a, a pretty good for himself. Um, and that's kind of how I started, and then as well as working with the current roster that we had at our company. But those are the ones that I kind of took on my own. Gotcha. And, and what was one of those uh, first deals you helped close with? You know, a, a record the, label. The or, first, yeah. funnily enough, the first like big, big, big like million dollar deal I closed was a merchandising deal. Uh, and it was, it was actually really interesting. I was on the hunt for new merchandise companies because I was looking for people to get on board with Hodges. Um, you know, he didn't, this was fucking, Jesus, this was 12 years ago. You know what I mean? This was before like your Instagrams and your Twitters and, you know, you had this following and you could monetize or maximize that kind of leverage. So this was just really kind of the end of the era of going out there and, and, using your connections and selling someone just in, in pure belief. And so I was out there meeting with sort of tertiary companies that were out, that were not the kind of major players. And I found this one company called all access today. And I was really pushing them hard on Hodges. And we actually ended up not doing a deal with Hodges, but we ended up doing a deal with Matchbox 20. Hmm. And it was my first major deal. It turned out to be a very lucrative one for both Matchbox 20 and Rob as well as it was my first venture into technology because there was a tech play in there, which I parlayed into a lot of other things as we'll discuss the more that we talk now. Um, but it was really, you know, my first time going up against the big dogs, so to speak. And these are still major players in the business. And the first time that, you know, my father kind of said, all right, great, this is on you, you know, you either fail miserably or you succeed, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, it, and it turned out to be probably the, the, I didn't sleep that night. And uh, one of the funniest full circle stories is when we closed that deal, it was like for a million two or something like that. Me and the CEO were partying, or I guess party is the wrong word because we were just having a glass of champagne by ourselves. But um, in, in that, there was one other human being in that bar, and it was Ryan Cabrera, who is now one of my clients. Uh, so it's actually really funny, full circle-ish kind of thing. 
Was all that, uh, we didn't all know that, each other then. It was all that positive energy you're giving off <laughs> after it. Yeah, so, and it, it happened. You know, it was in New York. It was, uh, uh, you know, it was it was tough, and we were going back and forth and negotiating. And uh, so that was my first like major deal. And again, it was literally came out of pushing for a young client of mine. You know, not trying to be, I guess, not trying to pretend that the client was something that he wasn't. So I wasn't kind of calling the big dogs that George Michael worked with trying to sell Hodges as the next, you know, coming of whatever rock band. I was just trying to, you know, create a niche for who he was by finding smaller companies that wanted to break into the industry that wanted to use Hodges, who is extremely good looking, a really talented guy as sort of their break into the industry as well. And then that just happened to turn into a much bigger play for, for all of us. Hmm, that's um, that's that's smart. And how, how do you? So how do you get in touch with these companies? Is it just a, a lot of hustle, or? How, I, I mean, I I'm a I'm a I'm a firm believer in networking. It was something yeah. that my father taught me at a young age. Um, so for me, I literally would cold call people and say, "Hey, I work for this company. I'd leverage sort of the names on the roster to go take meetings." And I was pretty confident in myself and my ability to talk to people. So I really would just kind of parlay these meetings into friendships. I really made an effort to become very friendly with these people, even if we didn't do business together, because you never know what's going to happen down the line. And that's kind of really how I got my start. And I built up, you know, I have a pretty extensive network. Even to this day, a lot of these guys who I met at those days were assistants or just getting started at their job who are now the presidents or the head of music or the head of this were you know, I, I sat the Grammys this year. I sat across from a buddy of mine who's one of the most important people in music at one of the biggest digital streaming providers. And he was telling stories about, you know, partying that he and I used to do when we were 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's amazing how those relationships come, you know, play out over a career. That's cool. Well, and it's That's all, cool. you know, it, it really has to do with one being honest. Yeah. You know, I, I never screwed anyone over. And also, you know, I didn't have 7,000 artists that I pitched. You, you know, I, I was taught that not everybody is special and you got to find that one or those two that you're willing to die for because the passion and the way in which you fight for your artist or believe in your artist is what's going to come through through conversation. Hmm. Interesting. That makes sense. And so I, I was curious. I, I read someplace how you were... Um, you helped to reintroduce Ryan Cabrera to the, you know, to the world. Yeah. So how, how does that work? Like, can you describe like what goes into planning and execute execution in order to make that? Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what had happened for me was first sitting with Ryan and us really seeing if we gel together as people. You know, it's, it's important for me that I love the people I work with. We are in business relationships together. And, you know, management is really frontline war. And if I'm going to go to war with someone next to me, we got to really like each other. <laughs> um, there's other managers that do it for money, and I respect them. But that's not how I was taught, you know. I'm a family business, and we work very close. We don't have a big turnaround company. Uh, Matchbox, Rob, George, these have all been with us for a long time. Um so when it came to Ryan, it kind of came to, I did a very deep dive on what, what existed out there, found a way that I thought I could provide a value 
then sat with him and explained how I do things and what I wanted to do and made sure that we were on the same kind of wavelength. And we hit the ground running. And uh, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot more um, so how do you hit the sort of resistance. Running? Yeah, how do you hit the ground? Uh, well, I, I guess I guess I started with meeting all the people that were a part of his world at the time. Oh, okay. Whoever his current lawyer was, his current this, whatever projects he had going on, just to get an idea of who who he was surrounding himself with. Um, ultimately, we got rid of every single one of those people. Hmm. Um, I think he was. There was a lot of people that were around Ryan's life that weren't really looking out for his best interests. And I think that was causing sort of a uh, a problem. It was also sitting with him and kind of explaining how I do things and what I expect out of him, you know, in exchange for what he'd expect out of me. And I think that was really important. Uh, and then it was really leveraging my hard work and my relationships to go and reintroduce Ryan to those people, but doing it under the guise that I'm there with him. So if people were worried that Ryan, whatever happened, I would then come in and say, well, no, because this is Ryan with me. You know how I work. So let's try this. And we all of a sudden started turning that into real business. And he was having a problem touring. Uh, he was having a problem with dates and, and just kind of making everything happen. I came in, met with those same people, took, you know, was like, look, put the onus on me, not on him. We changed it around, and we did pretty incredible stuff on the road two years leading up to his record deal. And I think that's how it all started, was the, the record deal came out of people watching what I was able to do with his business in 18 months that he wasn't able to do three years prior, for the three years prior. Interesting. Okay. And who 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 pays for the, the, the tour up front and, the, well, of course, the, the record record label, but... Who, uh, who... Uh, I mean, the the and I mean, there are some expenses that I took on. I would yeah. say they're kind of minimal because I leveraged a lot of my relationships. But really, it, it was uh, it, it's all interesting negotiations on how you do it. Hmm. Some of the stuff was spec. Some of the stuff was, you know, money we would take from a show. So if he was getting X amount of dollars to do a show. I would show him how we had to be to take that money and we need to re-put it back into his career, not into his pocket. So we invested, reinvested a lot of the money we were making initially to get things going, to get some of these songs done. Um, and then I was able to negotiate an interesting advance through our record deal, um, which I think is a new way to do it, which was a monthly sort of allowance that... Ryan could live off of so that we didn't misuse any of the funds given in the advance so he could still live, but simultaneously make the record we wanted to make. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> sounds like you, sounds like at least with Ryan and probably other artists, you, you almost approach them as like a, their own startup. It's, you know, you're uh, yeah. I mean, they're all yeah. brands. Yeah. Every yeah. artist is a brand, you know? And, and it's funny that you say that because as I don't do um, really working with, up and coming bands anymore i've kind of replaced them with my incubator and these startups because they are they are the same and it is a lot of it's a lot of legwork it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of belief um you know just to get people to to see what you see but it's very rewarding uh not just from a financial standpoint but you know these are human beings that you're helping build careers and you're you know taking front line together and I've enjoyed a lot of that, but yeah, it, it is a lot of work. 
<laughs> to get people to uh, to see what you see. And that's a good segue a little bit more into the. I got a couple more music questions, but into the tech world. Um, you know how how has and you you kind of talked about it right there a little bit, but how has the your music uh, career helped you move into the tech industry? And do you think that um, in certain aspects gives you advantage over you know people who've always been in the tech industry? Well, I mean, it, it was what I did was leverage the two things that I was best at uh, to get to, to sort of pivot in music and technology and that was leveraging all my relationships which um, I worked you know very hard to cultivate and my ability to work with startups and young bands and treating these young tech startups like I would a brand new band and approaching it with the same kind of hard work due diligence mentality etc that uh, that I did with you know with these bands and these kids that I believed in, and uh, I think that's what really helped because I've been through the ups and downs and I've been able to persevere with these young bands and seen the sign of small opportunities and turn them into big opportunities and I think that that helped me a lot, especially with the technology businesses that I used. But also, I always I never worked with a technology company I didn't believe in and didn't use with my own clients. Hmm, interesting. And so are you largely focused on tech now, um, at least for a new... Uh, I'm, I'm largely focused on both. You're like, okay. You know, I'm largely focused on the George Michael record coming out, the Rob Thomas record coming out, Matchbox, you know, when it comes back together. Certainly Ryan and our new project, Beyond the Sky. Um, we have a, an incredible group of young artists coming up. We have a young girl named Maddie Wolf from Super Vested In, who I think is just incredible. Uh, we got a great band called Radical Something, which everyone's going to hear a lot of things about. I got a lot of deals for them this this year and this summer. Um, we got a, a kid named Trev Lucifer, whose uh, father was also part of this business, who's just finished making his debut EP. So, I mean, they're still that business, and I'm still super stoked. And I really try to play them into the technology ventures that they take on and see if there's ways that I can help you know, break both at the same time. Um, but I think I'm, I'm equally as focused on both um but really i'm also focused on expansion of management in general and creating bigger opportunities for not just me but other like-minded managers interesting that makes sense and and uh, and going back to music just real quick you know who's all part of a musician's uh team and career you know you mentioned uh ryan having a whole team who who well i mean it's it's from my company standpoint, it's my father and I are, are the partners in the business. And then I have a couple other managers. I have some scouts. I have a guy in Atlanta. I have a guy in the Bay Area. I have a guy in Miami um, who just kind of basically are looking for talent and co-manager or finding different ways to do it. I have a branding guy that we work with. Um, and then within each one of these, let's call them brands, artists, there's teams, there's tour managers, there's social media people that I have big alliances with. Um, so it's a lot of sort of outsourcing, but it's outsourcing all within companies that, I, that my business has a longstanding relationship and or strategic alliances with that help all of our clients. Interesting. So that my clients get the best of it all. And from a financial side, we're all saving um, money, leveraging sort of the network. And then I help and I bring all these other companies to clients outside of our management company, you know, in exchange for getting my clients better rates. 
Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And so you, you're across the tech and music industry. Do you think there is anything that the, um, the music industry could learn from the tech industry or vice versa that you see? Uh, I mean, I think the, the, the thing I noticed the most is that young people in tech are very excited and open to meet everybody and anybody. And I think people in music, they have a little bit more of an ego or a little bit more standoffish as to, you know, taking meetings and doing this. And they're, they're looking at their time versus who they're going to meet, not knowing. You never know what's going to be the next Uber, what's going to be the next Waze. And I was always taught meet everybody. But it's interesting to me that when I approach some of these managers or these people in the music industry about some of these ventures, they're like, ah, you know, send it to this guy or I'm busy or I'm that. But if I bring a new band that you may have never heard of up to the biggest band. He said, you want to meet everybody and they're curious. And, and I think that that's sort of what the music industry was years ago when there wasn't all these metrics and, and ways in which people thought that they could figure out who the next big star is going to be. And I think because it's such a wild, wild west in technology, these people are a lot more inclined to meet a lot of people. And one of the things that I've learned is a lot of the big deals that I've done in this business have never come out of, that meeting that you expected it to. Hmm. It's not like I met with Ryan's lawyer and I got Ryan. He actually came through a publisher that I had met through a baby band that I was working with that didn't amount to anything, but I was able to keep that relationship with the publisher. And then out of nowhere, a couple months later, he called me and brought Ryan to my attention. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't take all these meetings. You know what I mean? So I've always been a big believer in that. And so to answer your question, I think that that's what I've learned in a lot of these young companies, even the company that I was sitting with today, is this guy was talking to everybody. I want to meet this guy. Oh, this is great. It's a great idea. This is great. You know? Whereas some of the managers I, I sit with are like, ah, oh, you know, I'm busy today. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you could schedule it three weeks down the line. And then, of course, with all due respect, I'll get a call from them like, oh my God, was that the company? Whatever happened with like that? I'm like, you know, hey man, they, you know, we, we've already <laughs> moved on. Yeah. But I appreciate it, you know? Interesting. And so, um, how do you, with your, your current roster of uh, artists, do you, do you leverage the your tech, um, I don't know if you want to call them tech clients, but your tech portfolio, do you use their technologies at all, or do you, what type of I use all of them. Do you, use? you use all of them. And, uh, oh, yeah. I, don't, I, I usually start, when I find companies that we're going to go, you know, that I'm going to bring inside of the incubator, they all stem out of companies that I find to help market my clients. And if, I, if they've done a good job, or they, um, you know, or, or I think the technology is great, then I will wait till it's done with whatever it is with my client. I'll go sit with their company and say, hey, you know, that was really good. Here's what I can do to, for us to take it to the next level. Let's look at your portfolio. Let's look at how much money. Let's look at who you need to get to, and then let's build it from there. But it always stems from my clients because I don't want to sell anything or be a part of anything that I wouldn't use or believe in myself. No, that, that makes sense. And, um, Okay, so let's keep talking about tech here. So, you, was it back in when? When did you do the US, USB wristband? So, uh, yeah, that was like ten want, years ago. That was okay. That was the first venture. That was that same that same deal I told you about that was started out with Justin or with Hodges and and turned into the Matchbox deal. That's where that USB came out of. Interesting. Okay, and uh, do you want to just tell the the, the the audience quick about that deal? A little more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically. Uh, we had found a company who was a tech business, uh, essentially first, that was trying to get into merchandise and fan club and VIP. And they had come up with this very early rendition of 
what was a rubber wristband connected via a USB port and it turned, you know, and basically became a wristband and then you could plug that in and the software allowed, you know, taps into a cloud server, which pulled the music from the uh, mixing board of the live show. Hmm. And they were sort of saying that this, that was kind of the concept was their special sauce. And when I had met this company, I had said, who's ever used this before? And they said, well, no one. We tried it with Willie Nelson because he's uh, the only artist in our little back door in Austin. And I said, don't show anybody this. Let's sit down. Let's look over at the technology and we can turn this into something bigger. And we sat there and I looked at it all and I looked at the server and I looked at the technology and I, and I, and I, realized that our band, uh, Matchwatch 20, was one of those few bands that would go right from the mixing board to the public. And we kind of put it together, and when I presented it to the band, they all freaked out and loved it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we were making another business, you know, another model of our business that was pulling in six figures. And I sort of was like, wow, there's really something here. And we would go to a bunch of other managers, Michael, my father, and myself, and we would pitch it. And people just weren't, you know, when you're an early adapter of anything, especially in our business, in the record business, people aren't very inclined to jump on board. They're always worried about the negatives and not the positives. And we came from the other direction. And I guess what I learned a lot from doing all the USB stuff was that if I believe in it enough, I'm just going to keep pushing it through my clients and keep pushing it. And eventually I'll get someone to pay attention. And whatever it was, eight, nine years later, I finally got Bruce Springsteen to do it. And it turned into be a, a nice lucrative thing for us. But it was so many no's to get to a yes. But it was the perseverance because I believed so heavily in the technology. Hmm. I just thought it was awesome. And I'm, I'm still to this day perplexed why <laughs> more artists don't do it. I mean, I, I just, yeah, no it, it is, it is confusing to me because warts and all which is basically the phrase of you know having it go from the mixing board to the thing exists it's called youtube any artist (laughs) who's out there that's like worried about that is slightly ignorant to modern day technology and how fans and people are watching sharing and partaking in musical experience you know yeah. And I remember, and I'm not going to throw any artists under the bus, but I remember having a conversation with a manager. And the manager, and I was pitching him on some technology, and the manager said to me, well, you know what? My client doesn't do cover songs. And I said to the manager, well, you are an idiot. Because <laughs> I'm on YouTube right now, and I see about 27 cover songs that your artist has <laughs> done. <laughs> so you might want to do a little bit more homework before you say ridiculous blanket statements like that. And I mean, obviously that was the end of my relationship with that guy, but it was foolish because it just, it's, there is such a diverse, you know, a network of human beings who are taking content that they're seeing and uploading it for the world to experience that if you're not going to sit there and monetize it, you're just going to sit there and complain about how other people are monetizing it and how fucked up it is for our business. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then here's an opportunity to, to monetize it and to take advantage of it and to stand behind it. And people are like, ah, no, I don't want blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, meanwhile, their fans have watched a, you know, Toilet Lover 72 uploaded her 22-minute segment of your live show, and it has 127,000 views. 
and you don't monetize that at all, and you get nothing out of that. And mean, you know, and the, meanwhile, there's 127,000 opportunities for you to have made some money and delivering a better file for these people who are living it that way anyway. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great idea. I, I, when I saw, you know, I had not heard of it, of course, when I was reading about you, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, it still makes sense, but yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to change people's minds. That's for sure. Um, oh yeah. Especially in a you know business where people are used to making money in a traditional way and don't want to screw up you know the the uh, baseline income with taking risks that may or may not backfire and you know like I said you know without risk there's no reward no no so it's all different ways in which you approach life and and what you're doing but my job as an artist manager and my job when I first joined with my father was to go find new and innovative ways for us to market and you know, take our clients to the future so that we can continue to monetize. And we've done a pretty incredible job with, with Rob, Matchbox, and George um, of doing that. And it's been something that I've been really proud of, but it's also been something that's opened a lot of doors, and it's all came from the risk. And by the way, not everything is perfect, but you're going to, you know, you take the good with the bad, but it, it's all maximized itself and taken itself much further in the positive than it ever has in the mm, negative. Interesting. And, and, and and so yeah, what what finally prompted you to start Ava J? Because it sounds like you've been thinking about technology, marketing technology for many years. What? Yeah, I mean, Ava J was basically the formalization of what I was doing. Um, I had had kind of deals with different technology companies, some to Lippin Entertainment, some to Nick Lippin personally, but I had never had a housing around them. And the deeper that I got in the Silicon Valley world, and the, the deeper my connections came with VCs and all these other stuff, I started to learn about how to leverage everything I was building for the greater good of the technology side of it. And all of a sudden, not only was I, you know, really close with the heads of record companies, but I was now really close with the heads of Spotify and the heads of Mm. Uber and Mm. the heads of these companies. And these guys were all teaching me sort of the ways that I can leverage and maximize all the hard work that I was doing. And one of them was formalizing all the different entities that I had had my hand in. And that's really where Ava Jade came from. It's an homage to my two daughters who are my entire life. And it was sort of my way of saying, look, I, I know I'm in technology. People in my business know me as a manager who is deep in technology, but I never had a definitive entity that I could then utilize to help grow both my management business and my technology business, but also then to help leverage the relationships that I was building up in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes California and well, LA in particular with it. I mean, the tech industry is really exploding in LA, of course, and you have Hollywood, you have the, the music business. So you get, you're right at the heart of things. Um, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's the buzz. It's the buzz, right? Oh, technology, technology. <laughs> we got to be into that. But, but it's still really the Wild West. Um, I mean, a lot of this stuff is the Wild West. Between how to market and break new artists and what's working and what's not in the management side and the same in the technology side, it's, it's really still the relationship business. Definitely. And and can you share one or two of the your portfolio companies or your clients in Ava Jade? Yes. Yeah. Co-Promote. Co-Promote, formerly Headliner.fm. Um, started by one of the smartest and greatest guys I've met, a guy named Mike Moore. Um, and he had an incredible product 
and just needed some help breaking down a couple of doors. Those doors happen to be, for me, very easy doors to open. Hmm. Um, we sat with each other. We became very good friends. Uh, Mike and his children and his wife come and spend time with my wife and my children. And uh, I, I just thought it was a genius way for artists to help market their whatever it was they were doing. And when I utilized it for Rob Thomas, the results that we got through the campaign I had done with Headliner were 1,000 times, literally 1,000 times greater than the way in which the record company launched the same thing, which was a single, it was a promotion around the single utilizing fan engagement. And through their platforms, I think we had like 596 people sign up to do it. Through co-promote, I had over 6,000. Wow. That's crazy. And it just showed me the kind of reach and how they were able to utilize data to do a much more integrated, targeted, um, you know, way to send out what it was that we were trying to do. And that network that they had was a lot smarter and a lot more engaged network based on data. And all of a sudden, I was like, well, Jesus Christ, if this works for us, then this should work for everybody. So there's one of them that I loved. Um, another one is Dampsey. It was formerly Flip2. The CEO of that company is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. His name is Jeremy Gaki. He is awesome. Also a very close you know, part of my inner circle. And we were looking for, with, with both George and with Matchbox, which are more of the legacy-based artists, when you were kind of coming up in the last couple of years, you were competing against these kids, these Taylor Swift's, and Justin Bieber's that were 19, 20 years old who were utilizing social media and creating content like it was going out of style, which was very different than how legacy artists have done it, where you had 10 images and that's all you used for a campaign. And we were trying to find ways in which we could continuously give fans content, but real content because these artists weren't going to do it. My, you know, the guys in Matchbox, bless their heart, weren't going to be doing these kind of Instagram, Facebook things 24-7 like teenagers do. It's just not realistic. So what Flip2, which is now AMC, did was it was a way to sort of vicariously allow people to go through events utilizing hashtags and geofencing. And we would get, God, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of images that were continuous every night on the show from fans to fans. And all of a sudden, the website became a destination for fans to go get content. And I solved the problem for both my fans and for my artists who then now didn't have the onus on them to do things that wasn't natural to them and thus wouldn't come across natural to the audience. You know what I mean? Interesting. No, that's a good idea. Um, and so with, uh, with co-promote, how, how do they, uh, distribute it? How do they get people? How do they get people to sign up? Do they, well, they have a huge network now. It's almost 10 years old. Um, but it was basically a way, I think it started originally as a way for young artists to help each other by sharing networks. So if you were a band and you had 200 fans on Facebook and there was three other like-minded bands like yours, so if Nick Lippman had a band and Dave had a band and my band had 300 fans and your fan had 200 fans and we had the similar music, I would reach out to you through the headliner and say, Hey man, you know, my music is the same as yours. Would you do me a favor? And sh- you know, I'll share your music with my base. If you'll share my music with your base. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you would start gaining more and more fans and that network got bigger. Then that artist would say, Hey, have you tried this service? I just got 200 new fans through doing it. And then it grew and grew and grew. That's smart. 
So I think we're almost out of time here, unfortunately. I, one of my last questions was, and I, I don't know if you uh, have an answer or not, but uh, you know, what technologies are do you wish are out there for the music industry? Is there anything you're like, oh, somebody should create this, and maybe if you had this idea. Well, I think I found I think I found a couple of those. Um, one of them is a company called Gigmore, G-I-G-M-O-R, and it is uh, essentially LinkedIn for musicians. Huh. And one, it, it was really one of the things that I was like, I don't get it. You know, I have all <laughs> these kids and they need to put a band together, but there's no like network that I can tap into and find 25 guitar players in LA or 200 drummers or ones that I needed to be 19 to 22. It just didn't exist. There was a guy that existed and he was kind of the go-to for everybody. He was one man. He did not have a technology platform behind him. So it's very difficult to scale that. And also one guy can't be a hundred places at a hundred times. And so that, that was what made me jump into Gigmore in the first place. When I found it was like, wow, this is something that we all need. Not only as a, just a fan of music or kids of all ages, whether you want to start a band or you're 39 year old lawyer who enjoys playing the guitar, but doesn't have an outlet to play the guitar because you don't have, you know, you're not in a band. Well, here's a way that you can find a drummer and a singer and a bass player, and you can go mm -hmm. gig together. And all of the other sites that were similar to this were all kind of based around being discovered. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you're going to be the next this, or check out my next song. And so that all of a sudden diluted all of these platforms because then you had to listen to people's shitty music <laughs> and everyone was trying to be a rock star and the essential just culmination of like-minded people getting together to jam got lost in this concept that I'm going to be a rock star. And I, you know, I think what, what I love most about Gigmore is it solves all of those problems. If you're a kid rock and your drummer is sick and you got a show in Oklahoma city you know, you can go on here, find a professional musician. You don't have to cancel your show. You can have a drummer come in and play that gig because we have a, a gig score that's set up. Or if you're Bill Smith, who is from Arkansas, who moved to L.A. and is a general contractor and family out here, but you're an avid drummer and all you want to do is play music. You, you, your only other option is going Craigslist, which people are that's sketchy. You never know. It could be you could meet people or you can get killed. <laughs> there just wasn't this home for for musicians to enjoy themselves. And the more that I be around people, I'm one of the few people in the business that is not like a musician. But everyone else seems to be. They're like, oh, yeah, man, I'm a drummer. Oh, yeah, I'm a guitar player. I'm a this. And I'm like, where do you play? And they're like, oh, my, my bedroom. Hmm. I'm like, well, wh why? And they're like, well, I mean, it's not like we're going to go play the Roxy or we're going to go play this club. And I'm like, well, you know, scratching my head. Like, well, that's interesting. So... To, to your point, that's really what I'm looking for right now is technology companies that solve problems that I see my colleagues or myself having. Interesting. Um, Fanflex is a, another new company that my incubator has taken on. And one of the things that I noticed about bands, including my own young developing artists, is that they would want to go play a venue. Let's say the Hotel Cafe, which is a which is a famous venue out here for singer songwriters, right? But you got to call the Hotel Cafe, and then you got to pitch your band, and then they're going to ask you to get X amount of people in the room in order for you to play that venue. Well, if you've got an incredible new band from Oklahoma, 
that doesn't have a fan base in LA, you're not going to get 25 people there. Or if you do, because they're 25 of my friends, those 25 friends aren't going to come to the next show a month later. You know what I mean? Right. So we try to, and, and on the other side, the artist has to pay their band members and pay this. And all of a sudden they're shelling out $500 to, for a band to go play a show that three people go to. And it doesn't work for anybody. The venue's pissed off because I didn't deliver the 25 people and they lost money. The band, you know, the artist is pissed off because here they are spending their hard-earned money to play in front of nobody. Hmm. And FanFlex was a basically a solution where artists need to pre-sell X amount of tickets, the threshold for the venue. There's venues of all sizes from as little as 10 tickets up to 10,000 tickets. And then the artist knows, okay, great. I've already pre-sold these tickets. I'm going to have an audience. And the venue knows, great. These people already pre-sold, which means these people are already coming here. I don't have to worry about that overhead. Or I don't have to worry about that minimum threshold because it's already been done for me before I put myself in that situation. Gotcha. Well, yeah, and I, we could have another whole interview just on all those companies. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 those are some uh, smart ideas. And yeah, but just as such as your answer, that's what that is what yeah. Ava Jade it does now. Yeah. We are looking to, and I'm expanding. And Ava Jade is going to be joining another big network. It's uh, the South by Southwest is coming up. There's a lot of announcements that I have going on, both from an artist management side and from a technology side that we're trying to do there. Um, but we are really looking for solutions to better service our industry. That makes sense. And, and I think that's the key of technology. And, and you can help uh, What I don't want is the next – I don't care about being the next this. You know what I'm saying? It's not the yeah. next social network, the next yeah. Twitter. The next, I don't want to be involved in any of the next. What I want to be involved in is how do I solve problems that you have now? You being an artist, a manager, a promoter, a merchandiser, uh, you know, whatever's out there, there's a lot of problems in our business that technology can solve. And people are too busy chasing the money to try to create the next social network. But do we really need the next social network? What's wrong with the social networks we have now? Nothing's really wrong with them, you know? It's just, oh, you can monetize on this one, and you can monetize on that one. And, you know, monetize is a big buzzword. And we, we make jokes, you know, within my, my tech group of people, of the people in my business who, in my music, you know, on the, on the management side, who don't know shit about technology, but they read the cliff notes, and they're really good with buzzwords. <laughs> good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, if you know, if... if uh music tech companies come to you, you know, you provide probably some money, it sounds like, but then also, of course, you provide your entire network. And I'm guessing you you mentioned with um, the first first company, they just needed some doors open. And so... Yeah, I mean, what, what, what I try to provide is a partnership, like a real partnership, like any other partnerships that we do, you know? It, it's sitting down and looking what their needs are. Of course... 99.9% of these young startups need money, but they don't, but also at the same time we bring in infrastructure so that you can understand how to spend that money correctly. What do you need that money for? What are you trying to achieve? Who do you need to get in front of? You know, everybody wants to get in front of, I don't know, let's make up a name, Michael Rapino, right? He's a super big guy. Well, some of these companies aren't ready to go there. And instead of wasting their time trying to break down doors to get to that person, they're not ready for that person. All that's going to do is cause a problem. So what we try to do all-encompassing solutions 
Um, I guess the best tagline is we try to not only find the money, but then protect the investment of the people who put the money in hmm. by helping these companies grow correctly. So it's a full service incubator. Yeah, that's impressive. Well, uh, I wish we had more time today, but we should probably wrap it up. And uh, this has been quite great. I appreciate uh, Nikki coming on the show and talking about tech and music. It's really, it's quite fascinating. And you obviously have a good understanding of both. So you're a good well, person. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love this. You know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of, of our business and I'm a big fan of, of trying to help everybody every manager, every artist, every tech company, and everybody who works hard has a good idea. I want to, I want my business to be one that helps all businesses. And, you know, being in the hub of that is also quite lucrative. So it works out well. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, right. I can just tell you, you love it and you have good energy coming off you. So that's uh oh, sweet. Well, I try. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening. And thanks Nick again for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Bye, everyone. All right, man.